Smartphone, DSTV Channel 856 and on 92.7 and 106 FM. This is 702. It is five minutes past five. If you have just joined us, very good morning to you. My name is Errol Ballantyne. It is early morning breakfast on the Saturday, the 28th of January. We're into our third and final hour. I can't believe that next Wednesday is already the 1st of February. Just time flies when you're having fun, as they say. Well, this is our health and well-being hour, and uh, our guest in studio right now for the next 55 minutes or so. He's been in here a few times. Welcome back, Dr. Dwayne Mole. Thanks, Cyril. Great Welcome to be back in studio. online. Now, Dwayne is an ENT specialist, otherwise known as an otologist. I don't know, is that an American term, or do you still use yourself ENT? I think, I think most people just understand the word ENT. Otologist yeah. is a breakdown of ENT. So you get ears, oh. nose, and throat. Otology just refers to ears. Oh, you see, I learned something new today. Every day. That's why I come here, you see. Learn all these new <laughs> things. All right, so um, if you want to chat, any questions you have about uh, ear or nose or throat, um, and you want to join the conversation at any time, please give us a call, 011-883-0702, or you can SMS on 31702. I wanted to ask you first off, uh, Dwayne, what, what is the main area of emphasis for you, uh, and, and maybe for ENTs in general? Is it children? Because when you think about ear infections and nose, you, th- you think about children, or, or do adults have the same kind of issues? Well, that's what's so special about ENT. It, we go right across the spectrum. So um, obviously in children, the upper airway is very, very prominent in infection and in diseases. So when they're young, there's a lot of things that kids have and, and you know, infections in the ears, uh, regular tonsillitis, etc. And then when you're much older, you tend to lose your hearing and there's other problems. And Sorry? You, s- you tend- <laughs> 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 and then you have to come see me again. So, so we see young and old. I would say in my practice, pretty much a 50-50. Some people focus a lot more on pediatrics, so then they only see kids. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, they're mainly just seeing the, the kids. Other people have a practice where there's sort of mainly older people. We in, in our practice, we are focused, obviously, ear, nose and throat, but I do a lot of otology. As you heard earlier, that's ears. So I see sort of a spectrum where we've got kids that are deaf, born deaf, and then we need to sort them out with cochlear implants and things. And then we've got the adults that have lost their hearing because the little bones have got stuck. And then we do other surgeries for that. So, so in my practice, I'd say about 50-50. One of the things I wanted to ask you, uh, one of the questions is about a cochlear implant. But just while we're talking about um, ears, uh, the, there are germs that become trapped in the, inside the inner ear. Okay. Inner ear or middle ear? Well, that's the question. Is is it in the? Am I wrong, or is it the middle ear? How does it work? So uh, the outer ear is the place from where you can see the little ear. You know the, the thing on our head, yeah. the pane. And, and when you look in there, you can see Absolutely. the ear drum. So when mom's got the torch shining in there, she might get a glimpse of the ear drum. Yes, up to the ear drum. That's the outer ear or the external ear canal. Then from the drum, behind the drum, which we won't see from the outside, we have three little ear bones. A air space should be filled with air. And then you have a little window called the oval window. And there's also another window called the round window. And that is the transducer, which takes the sound from the eardrum, amplifies it through these little ear bones, and then takes that, that sound to the cochlea. And then the cochlea towards the, that's the inner ear. So you get the Outer ear, middle okay. ear, that's the middle ear space with the little bones in the yeah. ear, and then you get the cochlea, that's the inner ear. So if you say infection in the middle ear, that's germs from the back of the throat, back of the nose, okay. etc. Okay. The inner ear has germs more from a viral aspect. Connected with that is the eustachian tube. Yep. Am I right? I want to come back to that, but let's take this call first from Maureen, is it, in Joburg? Uh, yes. Hello. Good morning, good morning to you. Hi. Good morning. Morning, Maureen. Uh, I would like to ask you, good doctor. You know, the doctor, I have buzzing in my ears. Tinnitus. It goes from the left side to the right side. Sometimes oh. it's so bad that it feels like my whole head is buzzing and it's loud. Um, when I go to sleep at night, it, the buzzing continues oh. without turn left or right. It's it's very so. annoying, and I'm actually worried about it because. Um, sometimes I, it feels like I'm, I'm tending to lean more to the to the left side when I walk. I would find myself walking left instead of straight. Is it driving you nuts? It must be so it's frustrating. It's driving me totally nuts. It's buzzing all the time and I don't hear so well. And then people say, oh, but you're deaf. But I'm not deaf. I can hear when you talk to me. It's just, I don't know. I sure. Don't, 
So, Maureen, that, this is a tough one. This is a, it's, as Errol said, this is tinnitus or tinnitus. And a um, couple of things here that we just need to make sure is, is if it's in both ears, uh, it's not nice, but we're a little bit less worried. If it's only in one ear, then I would say you definitely need to go and see someone. Um, tinnitus is the sound that we hear in our ears that others can't hear around us. And it's usually generated from damage to the inner ear hair cells. So you've damaged it uh, Normally, this is just age. Please, Maureen, I don't know what your age is. I'm not trying to say anything. But as we get older, our, our little hair cells do degenerate. With them degenerating, sound, um, it's a complicated mechanism. But basically, the brain is worried we're missing out on sound. So it sends a sound. And that's this ringing that we hear. So at night, especially when it's quiet, so you're lying in your bed, there's no noise around you. All of a sudden, the brain picks up, hey, but there's damage to this, these, this area of sound. I'm going to send sound. And so you actually hear it a lot louder when it's quiet around you. So a, okay. tip, a tip there is, is always make sure there's some background noise around. Maybe just get the radio uh, playing 702 softly and, uh, you know, in the background so that you don't actually hear the ringing as much. So Ooh. that's called masking the tinnitus. So, so that's a tip. But with the fact that you're a little bit off balance and the fact that they think you can't hear might be something you need to go and see uh, ENT about. Okay, because, you know, people often tell me, no, but you're hearing something, you know, you're, you're crazy, and I'm not. Sure. Um, what I would like to ask you, doctor, is I had a ear operation when I was about 19. They said that my, my eardrum had a hole in on the left side. Do you think that that could now... Um, be causing a problem again I'm 58 at the moment You know Maureen, uh, the answer to that question is difficult I'd have to have a look, but if your eardrum has been, he- has been repaired nicely, it, that shouldn't be the problem, you understand So, because once, you know, uh-huh. after about if you have an ear operation and you've got the ring straight off the ear operation, then, then possibly that was the cause, although often when we do operate the ears, because we've moved the ear bones or, or worked on the ear bones, there is a ringing for a short period of time so uh, I don't think that is the cause of your ringing, but maybe you, you have some hearing loss from your younger days that's now catching up to you. So you, okay. you're, you're suggesting Maureen should go and see an ENT? Well, and, I, and I think it might be a good idea yeah. if she's getting these dizziness episodes as well, but I don't want to, I don't want to give a false hope. But tinnitus is a difficult thing to treat, mm. and we can only really stop tinnitus in about 5 2 to 5% of cases. Thanks very much for the call, Maureen. Gosh, sorry, that was uh, not the best line. But, yeah, I hope, I hope that comes right for you. Very irritating. I remember having that for a, a short while, just mm. a few days, and it, it's just so invasive. Yeah, eh? it is, eh? All right, we're talking about the... Uh, we're talking a few minutes ago about the eustachian tube. Yep. So how is that connected to the inner ear and what's the, what is the, okay. the relationship? So we had the outer ear, we had the middle ear, then we had the inner <coughs> ear. The eustachian tube actually is connected to the middle ear. And the importance of the eustachian tube is the middle ear has got to be an air-filled space so that the vibration of the eardrum can be absolutely optimal so as to allow the sound to be transferred from the outer ear canal into the inner ear. And so the eustachian tube opens maybe three or four times a day, very small, and allows a tiny bit of air, and it's sort of a pressure-equalizing tube that we have. Now, in kids, this is obviously a smaller tube, narrower, more horizontal, so it's much easily infected yeah. than in an adult. So, for example, we talk about middle-year infections, and sometimes kid need, kids need uh, kidneys grommets or ventilation tubes. Now, that doesn't often happen in adults because that tube is a lot more larger, a lot more well-developed, a lot more sort of vertical, well, not totally vertical, but at more vertical shape than as a kid. So, therefore, you find that a lot of children grow out of their ear disease just because the tube gets bigger. And it's a very important tube because it really balances the whole middle ear. So it's fairly common for a child to have ear infections yeah. for no other reason than they are children. Absolutely. So the average child will have three ear infections before the age of three. Oh, really? Yeah. And the consequence, I mean, the, the, the symptoms are quite worrying when you see this little Same, thing, yeah. you know, struggling and f- fever and... Same, and screaming, grabbing the ears. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not yeah. sleeping. Tell us about um, loss of balance. Maureen was talking about that. What, what is it? Sure, that's, that's quite a dynamic uh, sort of uh, topic. There's a lot of things involved in loss of balance. In an ear or an ENT-related loss of balance, we're looking at those semicircular canals. So the semicircular canals are uh, attached. Basically, you have the cochlea where we hear, and right next to them, you've got the semicircular canals where the balance organ is sort of, uh, one of you know, mainly structured there. And loss of balance can be damaged to that vestibular system, those little semicircular canals, normally due to viral infections on the nerve or 
I mean, you can get many strokes. Uh, there's lots of things that can affect balance there. That is the peripheral organ. Then you have the central organ organizing the balance in the brain, and that can also have a whole lot of problems and complications, which then can make you off balance. So it's certainly not just off balance means the ear. Yeah. It's, it's dynamic. It can be the brain. It can be your heart. Uh, you know, cardiac arrhythmias, um, you know, maybe some, some vascular insufficiency that would yeah. then give you decreased blood supply to those areas in the brain. And then again, you get this dizziness feeling. So, so this dizziness and balance is, is, is a, it's a complex it thing. It must be, must be very difficult to try and establish cause. Yeah, it is. <coughs> Pardon me. I've oh, got a frog here. All right, let's go back to the lines and talk to Abby in Laudium. Good morning to you, Abby. Uh, good morning, doctor. Morning, morning, Abby. Doc, my, itch, my ears are itching too much. What can I use? Your ears are itching too much. Hey, that's a big problem. Firstly, the, the ears are, the, in the external ear canal, you've got a nice layer of wax. And this little wax or cerumen, as, as the fancy word is, is there to make the ear waterproof. It's there to prevent sort of germs, to help an, as a bit of an antibacterial. And that wax is actually very, very important. The danger okay, is, is the, we get what, itchy. What is it that I must use? Well, no, no. So we get itchy ears when we scratch in that and damage that layer of wax. So, uh-huh. the, so the problem here is, is itchy ears started by a scratching. Now, that's not always 100% true because we might have an ear canal infection or a like eczema in the external ear canal, which is then a skin disease which causes itching. So what can you do? The situation is, is that you don't want to stick something in there. So you don't want to stick an earbud and rub or stick a little toothpick in or whatever you're going to stick in there. So... Um, if it's very, very itchy, it might just be that there's wax plugging it or wax pushing on the side that's got excess wax, and you might just need to get that cleaned out by a doctor. Um, in terms of uh, some medicine to stop an itch, the less you scratch, the better chance that it has of that itch going away. But if it doesn't, you need to go and see someone. All right. Good. Thanks very much for the call, Abby. Um, somebody once said the sharpest thing you should put in your ear is your elbow. Absolutely, if you can fit it, yes. <laughs> But people do, eh? They, you see people digging in their ears That's with paper clips. Oh, no, paper clips um, are common. Matches. Oh, that too. The, um, you know, everybody says, well, it's an earbud. Surely it must go in the ear. Um, that's just good marketing. You know, it's, it's dangerous to put an earbud in. Um, there is a place for earbuds, uh, but it's very limited. And the danger is, is that as a parent or as a, as a person, you can't see what you're doing with that wax. So you're mm. pushing some of it deeper. Mm. Are you actually scratching the superficial layer of the skin in the ear canal and damaging it? Mm. So, so that's what makes the earbud a little bit of a risky thing to use. Patrick in Pretoria, morning to you. Morning, Patrick. Morning, how are you? Hi, good, and you? I'm good. Um, doctor, I have a question here. Um, sometimes I can hear my heartbeat on my ears. Is that normal? Hey, that's a really good question. So, Patrick, just one question. Is that normally in both of your ears, or is that usually just the one side? It's the one side. Just the one side, and it never changes to the other side. It's always just that one side. Yes. Okay, Patrick, one thing is is that we sometimes if we go and lie down at night and we've got our head on the pillow, we actually block the ear canal and we cause a secondary what we call conductive hearing loss and then sometimes we hear our heartbeat. That, that's natural, that's normal. Most of us have experienced that. But I'm talking about, and I'm sure this is what you're experiencing, even while you're walking around, you sometimes get that shoo, 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 shoo feeling in your ear. If it is there all the time, so morning to night, you, just, you, you don't even sleep at night because you're hearing it or you, you battle to get to sleep because you're hearing it the whole time. I would say you need to go and see someone. That could be a sign, and, and don't get nervous now, but that could be a sign of a little tumor in the ear. Um, that can also be just a very dilated blood vessel um, in coming through what we call the jugular bulb, coming up into the ear, and it could be what we call a torturous ear canal, um, not only the jugular bulb but the carotid artery. Actually, the carotid artery is the one that will cause that pulse. So that is something that you need to look at. Also, if there's some wax against your eardrum or cerumen, that causes also this conductive hearing loss, and that can give you a pulse. And obviously, the most common one is fluid, just normal fluid behind the eardrum. That also causes the sensation of hearing your heartbeat. So if it's only on the one side, my my take is I think you need to go and see someone. Yeah. Okay, Patrick. Thank you very much, much, Patrick in Pretoria. Let's take some SMSs. Um, Hi, Errol. Um, Is it true that a person should not use an earbud to dry ears? Yes, we've just done that because it pushes the wax and compacts it. If you know what I mean, that's from Tear. Maybe. Can I just say something on that? Um, A lot of people say, but as I get out of the shower, my ears are wet. Can I dry it? 
The answer is, is that's what the wax is for, is to actually prevent uh, that water from really doing any damage. And the danger is when you put that earbud in, although it absorbs the water, which in itself is not a bad thing, you do tend to damage the layer of the wax. So I would rather stay away from oh. that. So, so how do you dry ears? No, the old famous one, one jump, jump on one leg. No, really, I'm, I'm joking. Are you serious? <laughs> no, you know what? Situations, if you just dry the outside and oh. you don't put anything inside, natural air, you know, natural air yeah, drying will, will dry. occur. If you, if, a nice tip is use a hair dryer if it really bugs you. Just put your hair dryer, don't blow it, obviously not too hot, medium heat, and just can, blow a little bit on the Can you just stick the towel in there gently? Yes, you can, because the towel won't go too deep. Yes. Okay. So jump on the lower, <laughs> jump on one foot and then the other. <laughs> That's after swimming. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, um, Doctor Moll. I am sixty, recently fitted with a resound with resound aids, but I still battle to hear individual voices. Is there an operation to improve hearing? That's from Lynn. Hi, Lynn. Lynn, uh, Lynn's got a set of hearing aids. I'm, Lynn, I'm going to just assume a few things here that this is bilateral, that you've been fitted with both hearing aids, because often, you know, the medical aids, uh, as good as they are, they maybe only cover enough for sort of one hearing aid for a year. And so we tend to buy one and then forget a few years later and then buy a second one. But if you've got both hearing, uh, both hearing aids in, the situation is, is that it amplifies the sounds around us, uh, but sometimes it doesn't give us the improved quality of sound. Now, I've got to be careful because digital hearing aids are really fancy. They've got really good nowadays and they can make a huge difference and they can be set in. But our ears have got an incredible dynamic range which helps us to hear even the softer sound and the airplane going overhead and not getting a total wash of sound in our, in our head that makes us uncomfortable. While when you've got a hearing aid, although there's filters built into these hearing aids, fancy devices to take that sound out, sometimes a, a too loud noise is too much and a soft noise we can't hear. And so what that hearing aid is doing, it's well, digital technology, it's trying to combine it and so that you can understand sound. But remember, if somebody's deaf, sometimes we want to speak louder to them. Actually, that doesn't always help. Mm. We need to sometimes speak slower with more clarity. So um, the tip there is maybe just go and see if they can set this hearing aid in a little bit differently. It, it could be that your hearing is just of a nature that it's too difficult to set. Is it an issue with hearing aids where you have um, ambient sound that blocks out the Ab- rest of the sound? Absolutely. So, so sound like so um, you now all of a sudden you've got these you're hearing in a aids. Room with, you're with walking or you're walking on the on the road, and all yeah. of a sudden you hear your steps so loud. You know, everything is loud around you, and there's yeah. a rustle or somebody drops a fork on the or a plate, just clank, <laughs> and then you go through really? the roof. So, so. Um, Please, I, I think hearing aids are a good thing. Yeah. I think they're very beneficial. I think they're very helpful, but they need to be set right. So don't settle for just an okay one. Go back, mm. and, and, the, and the audiologists are really good at this. They can reset them and get them nice for you. They're expensive, but what price hearing? Well, you know what? Uh, they, they range. You can get cheaper ones. You can get more expensive ones. It's not always the most expensive one that's the best. Mm. So, so fit around. Ask them to try different ones in New Year's. Tabang in Soweto. Morning, you have a question. Tabang? Are you there? Uh, hi. Yes, hi. Yes. Uh, actually, I have a problem here. Uh, from a very young age, I have, uh, I had, uh, I have wax coming out of my ear. So uh, my, me and my, my mom like used to take me to the doctors, used to take out the wax, but then the, the wax comes out excessively. And now I'm 25 years, but now still there's no change. So we just stopped going to the doctors. <laughs> so I would like to ask, uh, uh, the doctor to explain to me what's going on because now I'm, I'm older and sure, it's a I clean it every day, every day. Oh, you know, but hang on now. We just we just talked about that, and and, and that is what happens. And I'm, please, I'm not being hard on you now. That um, some ear canals are a little bit narrower. If your ear canal is a little bit narrower, it will tend to accumulate wax. So if it does accumulate wax, the danger of pushing an earbud means you're pushing that deeper, the, the deep wax really deep, and actually stimulating more wax. Or we're just going to use the word wax. I know cerumen is the fancy word. So the problem here is is that you need it to be taken out. And, and although some people do irrigate it, um, I'm of the opinion that it's a little bit safer to remove it manually because then you can get it all out and you can get it properly out and it's dry. And so go to uh, ENT or an audiologist that does wax removal and get the wax removed completely and then don't touch your ears. And let's see if that continues to form. If it does continue to form, you might be one of the 2% that are unfortunately have high production of wax. And in those because patients, now, there's a little uh, operation to fix. Yep. Because now I'm older, I'm 25 years from a very young age. Because the doctor used to use this injection and press in some water. Then sure, to rinse it out. Yeah, uh, to, to take it out. And because now, sometimes it's dry. Uh, I don't know, it has some days where it's wet. 
Then sure. I could feel something coming out. Shame, man. There's, there's, there's really a couple of things. And one of them might be that you might have a little growth behind the ear, you know, along the ear canal that's blocking it as well. So you need to go and see an ENT, not just the general practitioner. I think go and see an ENT with a microscope and let him have a look. And I think that'll be the best advice for now. Thanks for the call. Thanks for the call. That is from Tabang. Um, some SMSs, lots of them coming through. And uh, hi, Errol and guest. <laughs> this is from Doug. He says, a student nurse was asked, where would you find the Eustachian tubes? She thought for a moment and replied, London. It's <laughs> <laughs> closer. Eh? That one station is. <laughs> Thank you, Doug. And then uh, from Dave, he says, I'm 67 years old. I have a vile green mucus buildup at the back of my throat. This occurs mainly when I wake up after an afternoon nap. I do nap with my head slightly elevated when it happens. So that's the vile f- green mucus. Yeah. You know what? The word post-nasal drip always is used very sort of globally for yeah. anything in the back of the throat. Um, what this, this person is talking about is that sometimes the little cilia, those are the little tiny little hair cells in our upper airway, there's stasis of them. They're not working like they should. And then mucus, which normally is passed down the back of our throat because all of us have mucus moving down the back of our throat, thin layer, and that's to keep our mucous membrane moist and so that it can, you know, warm, uh, you know, the air, etc., protect the protect the lining of that the mucosal, which is actually inside skin. And so what Doug's happened, well, what, sorry, what, what this patient has happened is, is that that is not working. Those little hair cells are not working, so secretions build up. They just sort of moddy, stick there and then sit there and then plop down the back of your throat. And that's that feeling of post is, is Is that phlegm? Well, is, you know, is it a kind of phlegm? Absolutely. Phlegm is yeah. just a, a mucus conglomeration yes. that's gone harder. And so definitely that would be classed as phlegm. Now, I remember once you were telling me years ago that the cilia, yep, that's uh, it, the cilia. are damaged by smoking. They are. They are, Errol. That's, that's not good for you. So, <laughs> I'm not preaching at all. I'm just saying. <laughs> so that, one of the many effects of smoking. So it's one of the many effects. So let, Which I gave up 15 years ago. No, so. no, and that's why I'm so <laughs> proud of you, man. But cilia, um, what it does is, is that um, if the environment is so an effective environment, mm. a too dry environment – an allergic environment or, um, you know, sort of exposure to, for example, irritant like smoke. Those four yeah. things all damage cilia movement. So that then has repercussions after that. Because if you've damaged it for long enough, then other things build up. You develop sinusitis or you develop chronic post-nasal irritation. You can get chronic cough from it. So there's a lot of these things that sort of knock-on effect. We were talking a little earlier about tinnitus or tinnitus. I don't know what the yes. is. It tinnitus. Oh, it doesn't Either. matter. Yeah, uh, tomato, tomato. Absolutely. Um, somebody says, can tinnitus be cured completely? Well, you see, about I'd say in my practice, two to five percent of tinnitus we actually can treat. The rest we can suppress. The rest can be treated by what we call tinnitus retraining therapy. All of this is 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 really an an ability for try and train your brain to switch off listening to that noise and Ooh. this is a complex issue so i don't you know in two lines going to solve tinnitus Ooh. so to get advice from an audiologist or from an ent about it i think is a wise thing to do but i'm not going to lie to you a lot of the tinnitus we cannot cure we can try and suppress and to deal with that constant noise sure. for year after year it is pretty frustrating look if you can't hear properly in that ear and you amplify yes. it that tinnitus will go away some of our operations that we do is because the patient can't hear okay. and we fix the hearing and then all of a sudden the tinnitus goes away so okay. so you know we want to give some hope to the tinnitus guys okay. just just make sure that it's not something that can be repaired i've got a question from a listener about um can you answer this does medication for parkinson's cause severe dizziness Sure. Uh, there's a lot of different medications for Parkinson's, and I would not be able to answer that if I don't have that mm. medication with me at this stage. Sorry. Okay. Um, I had to, to ask the doctor if, if he has, if he, if a shortage of blood can and, and refuse to put someone, sorry, I, I can't, it's very uh, confusing that SMS, if you could perhaps rewrite it and resend it. Hi, Errol, the doc, being in my 60s, I have excess hair growing out of my ears and my barber normally <laughs> removes this hot wax on, hot, hot wax on earbud. If earbuds are bad, please can you advise alternative method? Many thanks from Paul in four ways. Okay. First of all, why is it yes. that for many people, 
as they get as they get older, their hair from their head disappears and goes into the air. I know, it absolutely falls down the side and falls comes out the side. Yeah. <laughs> no, Errol, that that is a is a very common thing, and and maybe I should just mention that that is a that is a novel way to remove earwax hair uh, or you know ear hair excessive by using a hot wax on an earbud. Now that's not a I don't think that is pr- problematic. Um, just be careful because we do need those little hairs. They're actually form a, they play a role, not not excessive hairs, obviously a little bit. And as the migration of the wax comes out of the ear canal, those little hairs are at the edge to split that wax up to make it flake off and come out. So there is a function. It's also a bit of a protective function to stop hawks and stuff going in your ear, you know, little insects and stuff like that. So I know it looks not so lacquer and so we tend to want to cut it off, which is fine. Um, but it's going to grow again. And uh, using wax, a little hot wax on an earbud to remove it, as long as it stays pretty superficial on the opening, I think if you know what you're doing, it's, it's fine. You mentioned grommets earlier. Yep. Uh, so what actually does a grommet do? Do adults have grommets as well? We, we do have some adults at grommets, but this is essentially a disease of kids. The idea of a grommet is a hole across the eardrum that you're creating and then putting a little pipe in so that hole doesn't close. Because if I had to just make a cut in your eardrum, within 24 to 48 hours, that hole will close, depending on how big I make it, obviously. But a small yeah. little cut will close in 24 hours. So if I make a little hole in the child's eardrum to drain that fluid in the middle ear, and I leave it like that, that hole's going to close and that disease is going to come straight back. Okay. So grommet is almost like it's a little splint, or you could put yeah. it, it's a, little, it's a ventilation tube. And so the tube goes into that hole, and now that hole can't close. It's sort of a force to keep it open. That allows air to go into the middle ear. Remember the middle ear space? You've got the yeah. outer ear, the middle ear, the inner ear. Yeah. And that air helps to drain, well, helps to dry out the middle ear, and the fluid that was behind the eardrum can come out through the grommet. So that is a very beneficial tool. I don't think you should have grommets for the rest of your life. It's a small, short-lived sort of problem, and once your station tube is big enough and mature enough, it should cope on its own. But adults that have got chronic eustachian tube problems, some do have permanent grommets. What is fascinating, always fascinated me about your a particular discipline and ophthalmologist as well is how tiny these things are that you work with. Yeah, tiny. The, the microscopic little things. And, they are. And you said a good, you get a good point there. You said microscopic. I actually need a microscope in my theatre, so I have an operating microscope, and that's how I put the grommets in. That's how I do the ear surgery. That's how, so I'm always working through a microscope, just because yes. we need everything to be enlarged so we can see it a little bit better. Yeah. All right. We're in studio with our guest for this morning, Dr. Dwayne Moll. He's an ENT specialist, inviting your calls. We've got lots of SMSs still to deal with. Um, calls to 011-883-0702. We can SMS on 31702. Any questions you have about ear, nose or throat? SMS 702 on 31702. Now, 702 and Stir are giving you the chance to win VIP tickets to see the Oscar-nominated movie Hidden Figures at an exclusive screening. Make sure you experience the Oscar buzz with Stir and 702. Hidden Figures is an empowering and true story of how three mathematically and technologically gifted American women must cope with racism and sexism while working for NASA in the early 1960s. The movie stars Oscar nominee Octavia Spencer and Taraji P. Henson. Hidden Figures is an inspiring film that celebrates humanity and its fighting spirit. And to win tickets to the red carpet screening, go to 702.co.za to enter. 702. 702. Call us on 011-883-0702. Back with our guest for this morning, and he is Dr. Dwayne Moll, ENT specialist. Um, just before we go back to, to the lines, tell us about cochlear implants. Now, you've mentioned those before, cochlear. What, what, what is it and how does it work? Well, cochlear implants, um, amazing technology. The idea is, is if you've lost hearing due to the nerve being damaged, the, um, we talk about nerve, it's normally the little, tiny little hair cells in the cochlear, then even if you have a hearing aid, even the strongest hearing aid, Sometimes that's just not giving you any benefit. Mm. And then what a cochlear implant is, it's a very dedicated little wire. Obviously, just not one piece of wire. There's a lot of things on the other side of the wire, but it's a, a wire that winds up into the cochlear. Remember, the cochlear looks like a little bit of a snail shell. So you wind this little wire into the snail, sh- snail shell, and it directly stimulates the nerve. Obviously, on the other side of the wire, there's a part that goes under the skin called the processor, and that then sends the, signal. the sound processor on the outside yeah. sends this, catches the signal via microphones, converts it into electrical uh, signals, and sends that down this 
contraption into the tip with a wire, and that allows a little bit of electrical impulses at different spots on that snail shell yes. to give us sound. So this is not actually in the ear. So it, it's in the cochlea, and it, you actually have to go via the ear to get there. But it's a, a device that sits actually behind the ear, so it's on the side of the head, the yeah, okay. outside part. All right, that, that, it's not it's not situated in the ear. The yeah. actual device is outside. So if you see somebody with a little, it's like a little. It's like about a five rand coin size little stuck uh, on the scalp. St- on the scalp, and then it's yes. got a little wire to a hearing aid. Yeah, yeah. Now that's okay. a cochlear implant. Nowadays we've yeah. got a new one that's come out, and there's no more wires. It's a little, little bit bigger than a five rand coin, and it's a little disc that just sits on the side of the head, about three centimeters, four centimeters above the ear towards the back. Uh, and then the, the wire or the, the, the message goes under the skin so, into the... Into sure, the so under the part. skin you've got yeah. a very fancy device as well that has yes. a magnet that lines up two telecoils and then it's able to send the signal through. So underneath the skin you have an area of about, uh, let's say, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing now about three by about two centimeters, maybe four by two centimeters little device that's under your skin that's processing, helping process all these sounds to send it to the correct little tip on the, on the wire. Incredible. Oh, it's amazing. Wonderful technology. All right, SMSs, I hear drums on my left ear. It's irritating. It happens when I sleep with my left ear. I suppose he or she means on the left ear. Yeah. So, drums? So, sometimes what happens there is uh, this person might have a slightly narrowed ear canal, maybe a little bit of wax obstructing, and when they lie down the, on the pillow, they get the uh, pressure on the tragus, which is the outer ear canal, squeezing the ear canal closed, and then you get this conductive hearing loss. Conductive means that sound isn't going through because it's being blocked. And that hyper-accentuates any, you know, if you block, put your finger in your ear and you talk, you hear your voice in your ear, you know, yes. you hear yourself. So this is what's happening. This chap is hearing or this person is hearing their heartbeat in their ear just because the canal has been blocked. Okay. Tell us about tonsils. What are tonsils for? And if they're so useful, why do people have them removed? <laughs> tonsils, in, in the tonsil itself, we have, uh, we, we call it beta and T and B cells. And this is the, your part of your humoral immune system. This is just to help you sort of remember if, uh, you know, if you've been exposed to a germ to try and remember it so that the body can recognize that germ again in the future. Initially, one of the sites that produces B cells is the tonsil. But the tonsil has a sort of filter effect. And I'm, I'm using very basic language. There's obviously immunology is a lot more advanced than this. And uh, when you're little, little particles pass through your mouth when you eat and they are trapped or caught in the little crypts of the tonsil. And then the tonsil recognizes what is right and what is wrong. You know, what is, what is a germ? What is normal? Mm. Oh, no, that's a piece of carrot. Don't worry. Don't overreact. But initially it re- That's a Brussels sprout. Yeah. Get it out of here. Yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> terrible, you know. <laughs> no, but so uh, so we initially use it to react uh, to to help build up the immune system. However, yes. the minute those scripts get chronically infected, they're doing way more damage than what they're doing benefit. And anyway, most of what you're going to eat, you've already had by the age of 2. Tonsils aesthetic, well, in their in their function is probably only really necessary till the age of about two, two and a half. We don't really need them after that. But they do play a, a role in the beginning. And so we don't just whip tonsils out just because they're there. I don't know whether it used to be trendy. Is it rare nowadays? No. It, it, they, unfortunately, a couple of years ago, it was very trendy. Mom just arrived. The doctor said, well, you know, the child's is four whip years old. Let's take out. the tonsils out. There yeah. we go. Um, I have a total different view on that. I believe you've got to deserve every operation if you're going to have an operation. So uh, we wait until the, there's been an infection, certainly in the little kids, of it more than four four times a year at least. And there's other factors that, that play a role. There's a lot of uh, guidelines that we use before we just whip tonsils out. Do you know, I had my tonsils out when I was 20. Oh, okay. And it was the most painful experience I've ever been through. It was terrible. Well, that's not helping for my advertising of mine. No, but I was 20. I, I mean, <laughs> it was terrible. No, Errol, you're um, right. What happens is, is as we well, older... So it was, it was round about the time Moses had his permit. So in all due respect, uh, it might have been with an older technique that they used, yeah. a little bit more cautery, a little bit hotter. And nowadays we use a lot cooler ways of removing the tonsils. So that's the heat. There's not as much heat generated when we take them out. This causes a less of a burn and obviously less pain. But yes, because the blood vessels are bigger when we're older, we have to stop the bleeding to take the tonsil out. We have to burn more. Therefore, Mm. there's more heat generated therefore you're going to have more pain Mm. all right back to the sms's um i feel pimples under the skin and my left ear meds from doctor is not helping it's uh, it isn't visible feels like there's water in my ear pain sometimes sure there's a there's a lot of things that that could be um if you look about pimples on your skin it could just actually be the feeling or the sensation of a fullness in your ear 
and, and that has a lot of uh, um, different reasons for that. Um, just off the surface, if there's a pimple that he can feel or that pops every now and again, that's mm. not uncommon. We see it in the outer ear canal quite a lot. Mm. Um, but if that is just a sensation, that might be a, a, what we call a neuritis, which is a nerve being irritated, and that might just need some other form of medication to have a look at. I love this question from Jean. Yep. Jean says, is it dangerous to pick your nose? I know someone that always does it. <laughs> <laughs> is it dangerous to pick your nose? No, yes, with sharp nails, it is dangerous to pick your nose. <laughs> no, the situation is, is the danger there is, is you often spread, uh, with picking your nose, you tend to colonize your, your nose with a bacteria and, and quite a resistant bacteria in your nose, you know, from yeah. your hand into your nose. And so yeah. people that pick the nose tend to get more upper airway infections. So, yeah, not a great idea. Rather blow it. Uh, what is the remedy for damaged silica in the nasal passage? I think they're, they're meaning Simon. cilia. Cilia. No problem. So cilia there, what, what we can do is if we've damaged our cilia um, and they're permanently damaged, there isn't really much you can do. But what you can do is create a, a milieu in that nose that's optimal for their functioning. And that's why saline nasal sprays has, has taken off because they create just the right pH, the right moisture, and with that comes a cleansing effect and that stimula- or, or stimulates the environment to be optimal for the cilia to function normally. Mm. So mm. that's what, what I could do is, is, is what I could recommend to him is, is, is get onto some sort of nasal, cili- well, nasal spray. Sinusitis. Sinusitis. Yes. People say, oh, my sinuses are so clogged. Uh, give us the facts about sinusitis. Okay, so firstly, we need to make sure that the, the word is used correctly. So a lot of people just, especially in Afrikaans circles, will talk about dok, it's sinus, and that's sort of an, a common name for I've just got a blocked nose. But if you mean sinusitis, that is the lining, not of the nose, but the cavities next to the nose, or they make up part of the nose. Those are the yes. nasal sinuses. Now, that in itself is a definitive sign, and, and you need to normally have a camera in your nose, have a look in those sinuses by the the ENT and then a scan to actually make an accurate diagnosis. So just because you've got a blocked nose doesn't necessarily mean you've got sinusitis. You might have rhinitis, which is just an inflammation of the lining of the nose. Yes. So when I say I've got headaches and I've got a blocked nose, yes, that sounds like that could well be partially sinusitis, need to get that checked out. So that's the difference. Rhinitis is just a blocked nose. Sinusitis is actually the cavities next to the nose, you could say, the nasal cavity, and that those are infected or chronically infected. So what are the symptoms of sinusitis? Yeah, that's usually, the, uh, it's, if, you, if you're talking about an acute sinusitis, that means something that's a bacterial infection or a, you know, an infection currently, of usually blowing out green or yellow really thick mucus, okay? Mm. I uh, have a bad post-nasal drip with green and yellow mucus. I tend to get pressure in my face, so sort of fullness feeling in my face. And yes, secondarily to that, my nose swells up because of this infection, and so I end up also having a blocked nose. Mm. My smell can be affected as well, that I don't smell very well. But usually that is not in the acute phase. In the acute phase, you normally smell a pungent smell in your nose. In the chronic phase, the nose is so swollen that you actually have a blocked sensation and you, of the, of the uh, area that picks up your smell. Mm. And then you'd actually, you really don't smell much anymore. And treatment? Sure. You know, sinusitis, again, it's a big, field, a big field. There's a lot of things that you could do. Mm. Not necessarily surgery, and, and I really want to stipulate that. I don't think surgery is always the answer for sinusitis. I know my colleagues, my ENT colleagues, we do operate sinuses, yes, but probably 5 to 10% of sinuses actually need to be operated. The rest can be treated medically. Okay. Uh, Tinyiko, I think is the name, says, My nostrils are always congested. This has been going on for 12 years. I use nasal sprays daily. You're going to go, <laughs> aren't you? <laughs> That's your favorite question, Errol. No, it depends which nasal spray. Yeah. If, you, if you're using one uh, that we call is a, uh, normally you get them over the counter, a vasoconstrictive spray. And I don't want to n- mention any names on air, but it's a spray that um, you can often buy over the counter. You spray it in your nose and, oh, within 10 minutes, your nose is beautifully open. So yes. those sprays, those are dangerous. They're great for a short term, yes. but wouldn't use them longer than seven days in the nose. They then cause a rebound rhinitis. That means they shrink the blood vessel so much that you get buildup of debris breakdown products in the nose that then overreacts, and now all of a sudden your nose will swell more. So now we use it once a day. You need it three, four times a day, and that you can eventually damage the receptors in the nose, and that can lead to problems. So, would you advocate things like uh, a saline solution? I know you can get sprays that are saline. Sure, sure. you can get sprays. Let me just qualify that. Please, there's some very good nasal sprays out there. Mm. So, the steroid-based nasal sprays, I know we always get scared when you hear the word steroid, but steroid in the nose is a very safe product. 
that can be used very long term and is very safe. With that, I like to give a saline solution because that just keeps the nose moist because the steroid spray might dry the nose out. But the saline sprays, you get them in sprays or droplet form, probably a little bit more effective if it's in the spray form because it Mm. tends to get to all those little cavities around there. Great thing to use. You can't overdose on it. And and certainly if you're going to buy something over the counter, that would be my first choice. Sterimizer. That that is a brand. brand. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on there. So Sterimizer is a great brand. You've also got Salex, the Salex brand. Uh, That's a very, very good brand. That's a nice South African brand. So we like that one. And, uh, and then there's other brands out there. You've got Flow Saline, uh, the Flow Spray. That's another saline spray. Just make sure it's saline without anything extra because a lot of guys add something to the saline. You can get hooked on this stuff, can't you? Not necessarily on the saline oh, spray. No, on, on, on the, on the other the stronger one. ones. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, Iliadin, I think, is the one you're referring to. That, that, if you use it long term, you can get really yeah. hooked on it. It's fantastic stuff. It works, it works instantly. Within 10 minutes, your nose yes. is beautifully open. But that's the one I was talking about that's dangerous because if you use it long term, you actually damage the receptors in yes. the nose. And, and they will tell you that themselves. The manufacturers, the, the manufacturers are very honest. Themselves. They say, do yeah. not use this for more yeah. than seven days without consulting your physician. More Wesley, is it, in Joburg? Hi. Hello. Hi. Hi. You know, doctor, you know, I, I took tonsils out when I was still a teenager. Okay. And, you know, now it's about two years. I've got a little knoppy, you know, on my right-hand side where the tonsil used to be. It's so itchy. And sometimes it's there, sometimes it disappears. It itches so much when it's back, and my tongue itches. I like want to chew my tongue. Oh, shame, uh, just, Wizzy, it sounds to me maybe that you not you don't only have a tonsil issue, but you might have a bit of an allergy issue. If that was that the tonsil was removed, there is also tissue around the tonsil called lymphoid tissue in the nearby area that might have regrown. So we need to be careful if the tonsil, and I'm sure the doctor that took your tonsil out did the best he could and he took all the tonsil he could see out. Sometimes mm-hmm. lymphoid tissue grows back, not necessarily tonsil tissue. And in that lymphoid mm-hmm. tissue, you can get a little cyst called it, well, we call it a tonsillith because it normally comes in the tonsil. But if it's not in the tonsil, that little growth can come back and cause a lot of itchiness. Uh, it oh. might need to be removed again, but I don't want to say that that's the answer. I think you need to first look at your allergy profile. Go and see your doctor and let him treat You're you for right. allergies I like, first. I like, I, like, I like watching or researching or whatever. You know, when, whenever I take, my, uh, take wine, it itches like mad. When I'm okay. allergic to, to bran, whenever I, and I like muesli, when I eat muesli, it gets worse. There we go. No, that, that's exactly the answer there. Be careful of those food oh. allergens. Uh-huh, it, won't, it, won't be, it, won't be, it won't be cancerous or anything. Very unlikely. Very unlikely. Thanks Thank for the doctor. call, Marizia. Thanks very much. Uh, to, back to the SMSs, uh, Tia wants to know, any advice about post-nasal drip? It's a big one, isn't yeah. it? I mean, so many people suffer from post-nasal, as far as I can understand. Sure. If, if you... Because there's so many causes, it's difficult for me to just give a total overview. But if you have post-nasal drip and you want to do some home medication, the first thing you do is you get yourself some saline nasal spray. You place that in your nose on a long-term basis. What I'm saying is 10 times a day is not too much. So you say, what? For, for saline. For saline, you can yes. use it as much as you like. But, but I would use that 10 times a day. And then, obviously, allergies can play a role. Low-grade chronic sinusitis can play a role. Um, acid reflux can play a role. All these things can play a role to give you a post-nasal drip, and that needs to be sorted out by your doctor. Mm. So the home remedy, if you've got it now, go for it and use a saline nasal drop or spray. Roy has a question. He says, I had a bone stuck in my throat. I was told to go to the ENT. That didn't help. I was told to go to gastroenterologist. The bone is still there. What must I do? <laughs> Sam, hard, I think that's he's, a hard one to He's answer. talking about a globus pharyngeus. It's the sensation. Say what? A globus pharyngeus. Yeah. The sensation that there's something in my throat. Now, sometimes you've got this feeling, mm, I'm swallowing and there's something there. And, uh, you know, you assume, well, there's got to be something there. You know, it's got to be a yeah. bone or it's got to be something I swallowed that was wrong. But actually, it's got to do with the swelling in the back of the throat. And again, there's different reasons for that. Usually, there's low-grade acid reflux. And that's why I suspect he was sent to a gastroenterologist. If there's visibly on an endoscope, that means a camera in his nose where they examined down the back of the throat, they couldn't find any bone. This is usually because of a... A combination of factors that's caused a swelling in the back of his throat uh, around the cricopharyngeal area. Sorry, I'm using all these big gnomes, but that's the area just between the sort of valve between your esophagus and your airway. And if that is uh, swollen, you're going to swallow against this mass the whole time.
How interesting. So the, the way to, that that's a test would be to actually do a, a scope of the you could. the bone to see if it, if there physically is something there. Yeah, so when you say the bone, you mean the back of the throat. So the scope of the, the back throat, of the throat yes. and look for a bone. And it does happen. We see them every now and again, especially fish bones. But if there's nothing there, the gastroenterologist will look in the abdomen but in down into the stomach. But the problem is, is this changeover gap just there at the cricopharyngeus mm. where the, the, the gastroenterologist goes below that and I'm above that. So you don't really see in the valve area. It's mm. just a, it's a, a dark area. So it's something that might need to be looked at. Okay. I'm 57 years old, says Solly, and doctor recommended the removal of my tonsils because he says it causes my body temperature to be high always. Please advise. 57. So, so yes, with, as you get older, your tonsils normally become smaller, become redundant, and they're, and they're really not useful for anything, and they're out of the way, and you leave them alone. But if you have a recurrence of tonsillitis at that age, that might be something that needs to be looked at further because, yes, you might have a chronic you know, bacteria that's infecting or poisoning your system. One looks at tonsils at that age very carefully. You don't just yeah. whip them out. I mean, not not that that's, you, won't, you won't get any harm if you take it out, but you want to make sure why. Is there not that there might be a tumor in one of the tonsils? Yes. And especially if the one tonsil is larger than the other, that's something that you've got to keep in the back of your mind. So, Solly, if you are a smoker, and I'd be a little bit worried because that can well be an early sign of a, of a, of a cancer if you're getting a problem in that tonsil. But it's not impossible. We've taken our tonsils at an older age. It helps the patients a lot too. Day or two in hospital and home. That's it. Tell us about halitosis, bad breath. What are the connections with what you do? Okay, so the, the, a couple of things in my field that will cause bad breath. Obviously, low-grade sinusitis tends to cause pus or whatever running down the back of your throat. That will give you low, uh, you know, bad breath. Tonsils, the inside the tonsils themselves, the little crypts that can get blocked with debris. And when this debris gets infected, we call it anaerobic infection. That means non-oxygenated sort mm. of bacteria grow there. You know, bacteria mm. are not dependent on oxygen. They unfortunately have a pungent smell when that bacteria is formed. So at the base of your tongue, you can't actually get there with your finger. It's behind the base of your tongue. It's called the lingual tonsils. They often get colonized. That means that this bacteria grows on the back of that tongue. And that is difficult to, to get out and that causes halitosis in a lot of cases. So um, either via postnasal sinus pus that comes down the back and infects those lingual tonsils or in the tonsils itself. So yes, by removing that it might help but there's other factors too. Difficult again to pinpoint because yep. it could be a whole bunch of things. Yes. Okay. Should, when, when you're cleaning your teeth, brushing your teeth, should you always brush your tongue as well? Oh, that's a very good question. I, and if I, so, why? The danger is brushing too much on the tongue that you actually cause micro little sort of sores. And then that can add, in, you know, infection and low-grade inflammation. But there's a thing called the tongue scraper. Um, you can pick them up around. They are around. And it actually gently at the back of the tongue and then just scrape once to the front. I do a middle, one on the right, one on the left, scrape after every brush. And that just cleans that top surface of the tongue, which definitely helps for halitosis. So that is a benefit because that debris sits there. That's interesting. It's a tongue, a tongue scraper. You know, never heard scraper. of it. <laughs> never, never. I was told brush your, you know. No, no, and, and brush your teeth is fine. And if you don't have anything, you'll sometimes see the toothbrush is designed at the back of the toothbrush to have a little sharpish ridge, which yeah, yeah. you then can actually go and scrape uh, the back of your tongue. But I wouldn't yeah, scrape yeah. forward and back, forward and back on the tongue. Yes. I would rather go from the back and just bring it forward, from the back and bring it forward. Uh, let's go to, I've just got a phone number here in Benoni. Hi. Morning, Adam. Hello, morning. Yes, I don't have a name. Sorry. Morning. Yes, uh, you, Yusuf, Adam. Yes, Yusuf. Yes, welcome. Yes. How are you, Adam? Good, thanks. And you? Thanks, Adam. Thank you. Hello, I'm a doctor about the spray called Loco Bioto. Why has it been taken over the market? Loco Bioto. Yep, I can, I can talk to you on that. It's a, yes. it's a very popular uh, product given. It does anesthetize the throat, so it numbs the throat a little bit. The idea about it is that it's supposed to be an antibacterial and you can spray it in your throat to help. Um, my experience with this, and I, please, I don't want to poo-poo any products on, on the air. That's not what it's about. Is I find that I get a very similar effect with saline. Um, that uh, and the antibacterial properties in locobital in my hands haven't been beneficial for a patient. So that if they've got a bad infection, they end up needing normally an antibiotic anyway. But if you uh, use a saline nasal spray or a, a saline rinse, you just gargle with salt. You're going to get the similar medical effect. But in the locobital, the, the anesthetic sort of feeling in the back of the throat does help a little bit, and it is a soother. And that's why the good old-fashioned, you know, put some honey on a spoon and put it in your mouth, that's very similar to what locobital will help you with. It'll give you that soothing effect in your throat. Um, the danger is it can dry the throat out a little bit, and that's why I'm a little bit against it, because it can affect those cilia a little bit. Having said that, I think you can get good results with locobital. Thanks very much, Yusuf. And then Lena in Joburg. Hi. 
Hello? Morning, Lena. No, it's Rena. Oh, Rena, sorry. Morning, I've got, got Lena. Beg your pardon. Go ahead, Rena. That's fine. I just want to know there's a product on the market uh, from Natura for tinnitus. Um, is that going to help? <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good question. If you jump on the internet, you probably find 800 things for tinnitus. And when you have so many different treatments for a problem, you do have to realize that us as medical professionals actually don't know exactly what's going on with that problem. So I'm going to be honest, those products, some people, if you believe enough in them, can actually give you a benefit. However, there's nothing proved on any of those products that can actually consistently reduce the tinnitus in patients. So somebody would come to me and say, doctor, I took this XYZ pill and my tinnitus just disappeared instantly. It's amazing. I have never had a problem again. And he will punt that or she will punt that to everybody else. The problem is the next person tries it and there's no effect at all. So um, these products are out there. Those are just sort of promoting good health and good vitamin sort of content. And, and it's offered a placebo, placebo uh, isn't it's it? It's exactly that. It, it does placebo more yeah. of the work than anything else. Thanks for the call and the question, Lena. We've just got a few minutes left. Uh, there's questions about snoring, but that's a whole sure, different yeah, a big one. Game. It's a big one, isn't it? Yeah. Are there primary things you could look at as triggers? Absolutely. So uh, the most common reasons for snoring is weight. Okay, so mm. for people that are overweight, if, you're a, if you want to stop snoring, do yourself a favor and see if you can't just shed five kilos. You won't believe how five kilos could just change really? the whole sound of the snore. Mm. If you're a narrow snorer, what I mean by that, you're not overweight and you're still snoring a lot, then there might be upper airway problems that we need to have a look at. You could have a very floppy, soft palate. You could have a chronic blocked nose or large tonsils. So mm. all of these can play a role and, and make the snoring worse. That's why sometimes surgery can make a big difference, but sometimes it can make no difference to the snorer. Okay, and um, Anita wants to know, should one try to spit out phlegm when coughing? <laughs> In other so words, is it harmful to, to swallow? Spit it and rather, you know, spit it out rather than swallow it. Yeah. The answer is your stomach acids are so strong that if you swallow that, uh, they will kill those germs quickly. So you don't have to worry about swallowing that, that mucus. However, why is the mucus being produced is something that you need to look at because if that's too much, maybe you need to distort out your allergies or whatever is causing that mucus. Okay, and then um, somebody wants to know what makes a tongue get painful. Tongue get sure. painful. Tongue painful. There's a, we call it a burning mouth syndrome. That is, a, I mean, you go and Google that. You'll see all the reasons for that. It's, it can be vitamin B deficiency. It, it is based normally in sort of one deficiency of, of, of a, you know, a, a vitamin or a, an enzyme. But um, there, there's a lot of reasons you can get the geographic tongue mm. and then those little micro fissures, little cuts on the tongue that are obviously raw. And when you eat a little bit of acid, maybe tomatoes or whatever, and that then burns that tongue the whole time. So that unfortunately is something that needs to be addressed totally in, you know, have to go and have a look and see what's going on with that tongue. We're out of time. I wanted to talk about things like sleep apnea as well. Oh, that's, yeah, a big, that's a but big one. We can one. talk about that next time no because that's it affects one. a lot of people and it's, it it's has some consequences. very common. You'll be surprised how common that is. Really? All right. So uh, we've been talking with Dr. Dwayne Molly in studio. Just give out your details. You can get him on 011-869-6269. 011-869-6269 or you have a website uh, which is www.earmagic.co.today earmagic one word .co.today it's got a lot of information on it well it, it's, it's, it's mainly based on ears but it does have yes. our information for the <laughs> <laughs> it does have our information for the practice and, and where you can get good hold of us and a few websites that are helpful 011-869-6269 thanks Dwayne it was Until great chatting to you, Errol. Thanks again Thank for you. this Have opportunity. A weekend. And that's a wrap from Early Breakfast for this Saturday morning, the 28th of January. Thanks so much for being with me and thanks for all your calls and SMSs and questions and it's been fantastic to be with you. Have a brilliant weekend. It is now time for the latest eyewitness news. It is six o'clock.